Hello, friends. I want to welcome you to our latest podcast talk. This is Pastor Marco. Listen, uh, we love to have you come hang out with us live. If you've never been, if you live in the area, we have two services, Saturday 6 p.m. and Sunday 10 a.m. And if you have kids, we have incredible children's ministry for all ages. And don't forget to check out our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. We believe this message is going to encourage you, but also challenge you in your walk with God. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to open it to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to talk to you this morning about the Easter reality. Help me preach, brother. The Easter reality. Is it real? Oh, we're just... A bunch of loonies who believe in such a thing as a resurrection. So I want to go there this morning. I hope you're ready to go a little bit deeper this morning on, on Easter Sunday. Can you say amen? First yeah. Corinthians 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. And, we're going to, and then we're going to jump to verses 14 to 20. It's a long read. It's probably the longest thing you've read all week. Uh, so, so, so get yourself ready. First uh, Corinthians 15 says... Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcome it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture said. He was buried And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. Your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Verse 20, but God. I love the word but in the Bible because there's a transition. That says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Can you say amen? So today, billions of people all over the world are celebrating Easter Sunday. This is a universal celebration. This is not just an American thing. This is not just an African thing. This is not just an Asian thing. This is a worldwide event 
that people all over the world are celebrating this Jesus this morning. The statistic says there's about 2.7 billion people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ all over this universe. And you happen to be one of them. But I do want to wrestle with this question this morning. Is it real? Is it something that religious people fabricated to feel better about life? Is this something that the church decided to do so people can be afraid somehow of, of, of God and, and not go into hell? Is this thing for real is what I want to wrestle with this morning. And I want to present to you the conclusion right off the bat of this message is this. The resurrection is an all or nothing kind of deal. With the resurrection, we have everything. Without it, we have absolutely nothing. Thankfully, I'm here to shed light on the reality that biblical faith is not blind faith, as some people think it is. There's plenty of evidence to support the faith. Matter of fact, the, 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 the word faith is the evidence of things that you hope for. So there's evidence for the things that we believe this morning. And I want to shed light on some things to help us as, as we maneuver through this life where there's a lot of skepticism, there's a lot of uh, uncertainties, and, and, and I'm sure life has ways of making you doubt the presence of God in your life sometimes. And so I'm praying this morning that some of these things will be hopefully a, a fresh touch of his presence over your life. Can you say amen? First of all, I'm going to dive right in this morning. We have evidence, plenty of evidence, and I don't have time to go through all of it, that Jesus, first of all, was a real person in real time in history. All right? This is not just a biblical fact. This is an historical fact. Right? I can show you many evidence outside of the Bible that proves the reality that, first of all, he exists because we've got to start there. First, we have to believe that this man was a real person who lived in real time. Right? We have evidence not only that he lived, we have evidence that he died this brutal death on a cross. We have documents from Roman historians. We have documents from Jewish historians who shows us that there is solid evidence outside of the Bible. Because sometimes people say, well, the Bible was invented by, 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 by man. Well, what about other sources outside the Bible that talks about Jesus? By the way, these are people who didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They were just reporting the historical facts that took place in that time. I'm going to give you one example. I hope this whet your appetite to go and do some research on your own. But a first century Jewish historian who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, his name was Josephus, and he wrote an historical account of the people of that time in the first century, and he mentions Jesus by name. Not only does he mention Jesus by name, he mentions the event that took place around Jesus' life. And I want to read this quote to you from his book all the way back to the first century. Again, here's a man who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He was just reporting the facts because that's what history is supposed to do. Amen. So he said this, at this time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. And his conduct was good. And he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. And those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he was appeared to them after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. 
This, my friends, is clear evidence that Jesus was a real person who lived in the first century. And this proves not only that he, that he lived, but he also died the, direct, the, the death that is described in scriptures, that he was crucified because they believed that he was this revolutionary that came to change the world, but they didn't fully understand what that meant. And you can see here, he's not necessarily a believer in the resurrection. He says, they reported that he appeared to them. But first thing we have to establish is the fact that this is an outside source saying to you from first century, hey, this man was real. Right? So anytime someone says Jesus was not real, they deny in history, which means they're also not real. Right? Then we get into a whole other discussion, you know, about what's real. Right? But history is defined by what happened. Right? How do you know George Washington was the first president of the United States? Were you there? Someone recorded that in history and passed it on to us, and we take it like is the truth. So here's an historian from first century saying, hey, Jesus was a real person and he was crucified. Uh, I don't know about the reports about resurrection, but I know that his disciples believed that he was resurrected. So is it clear proof that Jesus was alive and that he died on a cross? Can you say amen? amen. Right? Moving on to the second thing is we got to talk about this empty tomb. The second important fact is that three days later the tomb was empty. You cannot visit a grave that Jesus is in because there's no body, right? This is what separates Jesus from any other religious leader in the face of the planet. We can go visit Muhammad's grave. We can go visit Buddha's grave. We can go visit Confucius' grave. We can go visit all these so-called unquote religious leaders, but you can't visit Jesus' grave because it's not there. You never find a body because he's not there. And if you study history, the best explanation they came up with, because they had to find something to, to, to deflect it from the fact that he was resurrected, the antagonist said that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of holes with this thing. Let me point out a few things that, that makes this very unlikely, that they stole the body. First of all, the disciples were scared out of their mind. Jesus was just arrested and crucified, and they thought, we are next. Matter of fact, you don't find one of them at the crucifixion. Actually, you only find John at the crucifixion. Everybody else just dipped. <laughs> right? Because they're like, man, Jesus, the way my fate's set up right now. <laughs> right? You don't find any of them there. Why? Because they were scared out of their minds. This is a time where the Roman Empire ruled the world, right? And you bring anything other than, than peace, they want to get rid of you. Matter of, by, by the way, crucifixion was a normal thing in that society. They crucified hundreds of people all the time. It was their way of saying, listen, this is what we do with people who try to mess with us. We go public with this thing so you can know, like, don't mess with us. That's why disciples scattered. They were afraid. Right? Second thing is, historically speaking, we know that the tomb was protected by the Roman soldiers. And the Roman soldiers know that if something happens when they're on duty, it's their life. They knew, like, if something goes down and, 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 and we don't get the job done, our lives are on the line. That's why the Bible says that these guys had to be corrupted with money to go along with this lie. 
Because they knew, like, we're, we're about to put our lives on the line here if this thing is real. Matter of fact, this is so real, they didn't know what to do with themselves. How can you possibly explain that a tomb that we were guarding is now open? Which, by the way, just the stone that was on the tomb would weigh tons for someone to move. And how do you get past the Roman soldiers when you, first of all, scared out of your mind and you're going to go against an empire that's ready to, to kill anyone who stands in their way? It's very unlikely that that would happen. Now, let's, let's assume that did happen. Let's assume they were ninjas and they were able to get in there and, and like, kill all the Roman soldiers, you know, or somehow drug them so they can fall asleep and they got the body and they were able to get the body. Now, the question you got to ask is, what do you do with a dead body? Like, what's the excitement around a dead body? Why would anyone in their right mind go out there and stop preaching about a Jesus who was raised again when they know we got a dead body hidden somewhere? It makes absolutely no sense. Right? It's one thing for me to convince you of something that I believe is true. It's another thing for me at some point to have to deal with the reality of, hey, I got a dead body in the trunk. <laughs> because think about this. They had to preach Jesus with the reality of we might have to face death. Right? I don't know about you, but most people will lie to not die. Most people will not live a lie in order to die. So this makes absolutely no sense unless the tomb was really open and they saw a real person in real time that, that, that made them feel like, listen, it doesn't matter what the Romans can do to us. We saw you come back from the dead. Therefore, we have the boldness to be able to step out and be who you've called us to be and preach this thing. The disciples were scared out of their mind. Matter of fact, they were even scared when Jesus showed up. Wouldn't you be? You saw the man being crucified, and he shows up like, hey, guys, you got some fish? Like, true story. Like, Jesus, it was a physical body resurrection. Like, he ate with them. He talked with them. And, and they were, like, spooked. I would be too. Right? And the way my fate set up, I'd be running. Like, Jesus would have to catch up with me. He's like, where are you going? No matter where you are, there I am. It's like, no, I wasn't ready. They were scared. Matter of fact, if you read all four gospel accounts of the resurrection, there's so many inconsistencies there. Why? Because that's how you would react and behave if you saw someone come back from the dead. Right? One of the things that's fascinating about the gospel story is not, it's not like all four of them are saying exactly the same things. Because if they were, then we'd be like, whoa, y'all got together and conjure up this thing. But what happens in a court of law is that when something is on trial, you bring many witnesses and they all give you a different layer of what they saw. Because if they all saw the same thing, you say collusion. Right? But the fact is, this thing was so real and it's so powerful, they were just like saying stuff. Because when you witness something that crazy, you say crazy things. Right? And so this is the people that Jesus shows up to. They had nothing to gain with a dead body. Matter of fact, they have everything to lose. Right? Because think about this. Later on, all of them would die for their faith. And if all of them are going to die for their faith, at some point, shouldn't one of them be like, but we know where the body is. Why are we dying? 
They died because they knew he's alive and well. Therefore, you can kill me, but you can't kill me, really. At his best, Christianity would have died within a few years if that was real. At his best, a rumor like that can only go so far. Right? Thousands of people would not buy into something that they don't believe it's real. Now, I know, I know one of the objections would be, yeah, but a lot of people die for a lie. It's true, but would you die for a lie that you created? Someone might feed you a lie and you might think it's true, but man, I create, like this is the guys who started this thing. At some point, one of them will leak this thing. There's 12 of them. I'm sure one of them don't want to die. Say, yo, I saw James go, I'm not ready. It makes absolutely no sense unless something really powerful happened that shifted the way they view life. Shifted the way they even took what life is all about. That they saw a risen Lord and that gave them the boldness to live the way they lived. Can you say amen? The third important fact that you have to consider this morning is that Jesus rose from the grave. And the Bible says for 40 days he appeared to different people. Not one time, not two times, for 40 days he was appearing to so many different people. He appeared to the original disciples. He appeared one time to over 500 people, which, which defies the logic of some arguments that say maybe they were hallucinating because when you lose a loved one, you hallucinate. But there is no psychological evidence that 500 people can have the same hallucination. One, maybe one or two people, but 500 people cannot say we saw exactly the same things. Right? It's impossible to hallucinate 500 people, right? So, or to make them hypnotized, as some people would say. All these people saw Jesus in physical form. What's amazing is what we read this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, was written about 22 years after Jesus' resurrection. 22 years later, the writer Paul says, hey, not only do you appear to these people, but some of them are still alive. If you are conjuring up a lie, you would not put that in there. Because that could be checked. Basically, he's inviting cross-examination. He's saying, I am so confident of this. Some of them are still alive. Go ask them for yourselves that they saw this risen Jesus alive. There's no reason to have that in there if you're not confident that, hey, this might be checked. Right? So over 500 people saw Jesus. And I want to highlight just some of these people just to show you where they were coming from and what happened to them when they saw Jesus. Starting with Peter. Peter is the loudmouth of the bunch. Peter was the one that was always talking first. Right? He was very emotional. Right? Peter, right before Jesus went to the cross, told Jesus, like, hey, whatever you go, I'm going with you. If you get killed, I want to get killed with you. Jesus is like, well, pump the brakes, Peter. Because in a matter of hours, you're going to deny me three times. Right? And so when push comes to shove, the emotions got the best of him. And Peter does deny Jesus three different times. Actually, so violently, the Bible says he was cussing. He was basically saying, I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. Right? Because he was scared. Like he was seeing him being crucified. He's like, man, I don't want to be dead. Right? Three times he denied Jesus, a few weeks later, a few weeks later, about five weeks later, P- 
Peter preached the first Christian message in the open and over 3,000 people, not counting women and children, got saved. What happened in five weeks? How do you go from, I don't know this dude, to preaching that this dude is alive and well and he wants to save lives? By the way, Peter would later be crucified upside down for his faith. He said, crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus was. That's the confidence that he had. This is outside of the Bible. This is in history that Peter was crucified because he believed in Jesus so much. Also, you see James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. James grew up with Jesus. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that James grew up with Jesus but did not really was into what Jesus was doing. James was, was telling Jesus, like, man, you're an embarrassment to the family. Why don't you go preach somewhere else? Has anyone ever told you that in your family? You're in good company. You know, here's half the brother of Jesus saying, mm, I don't know about you. you. You're a little crazy. But Jesus kept being Jesus. But the Bible says this, that James has a revelation of Jesus because Jesus shows up to him. And what happens with James after that? He becomes one of the first church leaders of the Jerusalem church. And James, later on, history tells us, you can check for yourself, was thrown from the roof of the temple unto his death, and he was stoned to death because he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Why would the half-brother of someone who lived in the same house with them be willingly to throw himself, to let himself be thrown off a roof and stoned to death. Why? Because he saw that Jesus was alive and he's like, you can kill me, but you can't really kill me because we've seen the other side of this thing and he's with us. Can you say amen? <laughs> then you get to Paul, the man who wrote these words we just read. Paul's story is unbelievable. Matter of fact, this whole thing is unbelievably believable. He persecuted these Christians. Paul was a Pharisee, which was the main religious leaders of that time. They pride themselves after knowing the Old Testament, the law. They believe that you live by the letter of the law. And so Paul, when he heard about these people preaching Jesus, he said, we need to get rid of them. This is a cult. Have you heard people tell you you're part of a cult? <laughs> you're in good company. Paul believed that these first believers were in a cult. And he said, we got to get rid of them. Paul would go from city to city arresting Christians, bring them to trial. Because back in those days, they believed that if you blaspheme the Old Testament, you, you, you can stand trial and be put to death. Paul was there when they killed Stephen, a young man, in Acts chapter 8. And he saw Stephen say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He echoed Jesus' words as they were killing him. And he saw Jesus. He said, I see you and I'm coming to you. As he was being killed. Paul witnessed all this. And then Paul has an encounter with Jesus. You know what Jesus said to Paul? He said, Paul, why do you persecute me? I find that fascinating. He didn't say, why you persecuted my people? He says, why you persecuted me? That's good news for you today. When someone persecuting you, they're persecuting Jesus. And if Jesus is for you, who can be against you? That changed his life. Paul becomes the greatest missionary in the history of Christianity. Paul single-handedly took the message of Jesus to all the known world at that time. Why would you go to that extreme if this thing wasn't real? Matter of fact, 
The Bible that you're holding, Paul wrote 14 of the New Testament letters that you have in your possession today, including 1 Corinthians, which is one of the oldest manuscripts that we have of the entire thing. 22 years later, he's saying, let me remind you why we're here, because he went to the cross. He died for your sins. He rose again, and he's coming back again. And so you better take that to the bank, because I am a witness of this resurrection. Why would anyone die for a lie they created, especially when it might get you killed? The last thing I want to share with you today is the transformation that this day has brought to the immediate world then and has brought to the world today. The most compelling evidence for me for Easter story is the transformation that Jesus brings. Did you know this? Within weeks, weeks of the resurrection, over 10 thousand Jews said no to their Jewish tradition faith and said yes to Jesus, renouncing their families, renouncing their status in society and saying, oh, we've seen him. We're going to walk with him. We're going to live for him. We're going to live in the fullness of his will. Over 10,000 people in matters of weeks. And then if you spend history in 300 years, this little thing that started in a remote seaport village out of nowhere, what they said, can anything good come out of that place? Out of this place comes the greatest spiritual revolution in the history of humanity. In 300 years, they go from a few to now changing an entire empire. Did you know that by the year 315, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, which had over a thousand gods to worship? And they said, we're going to worship Jesus as the God of all gods. And they did it without violence. Napoleon Bonaparte has my, one of my favorite quotes about Jesus. Napoleon, the man, well, you know Napoleon, if you know history, right? He conquered most of the world. He said this, he said, what fascinates me about Jesus is I conquered the world with violence. He conquered the world with love. He said, that's fascinating to me. I make people do stuff. Jesus just willingly gives his life and people are like, yeah, we're going to follow you. That's a risen God. That's the God that we serve. Now, I say all that. But still, there's always like, man, but is this for real? So I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with these words. An encounter that Jesus had with one of his disciples who were like, uh, I'm not buying it. I need to see him for myself. Right? John chapter 20, right, as we end this morning. John 20 is the encounter of Jesus and the disciples who, because of this encounter, we know him now as the doubting Thomas. You ever heard doubting Thomas? This is where it comes from. Right? Because the disciples were like, yo, we saw him. He was excited. He's like, yeah, but I wasn't here, so I didn't see him. There's always that one guy. I don't know about that. So, so here's what happened between John, I mean, between Thomas and Jesus. Eight, day late, eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. And notice how he says, peace be with you. Because you're like... He was dead. You know, it's so funny when people are like, yeah, I'm not afraid of God. I'm like, if Jesus shows up, I don't care who you are. Yeah, you know, everybody plays a tough guy, you know. No, you'd be on your knees speaking in tongues. Peace be with you. That's the first thing he always says. Like, yo, chill. It's okay. 
He said, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, my God. Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, I love this. You believe because you've seen me. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. I have never seen the physical body of Jesus Christ. But 20 years ago, I've seen Jesus change my life. And I've never been the same again. I can't fully convince you 100% that this thing is real. But I can tell you this. It has transformed me for the better. And I've never been the same again. 20 years later, I still want to know more of this Jesus and walk closely to this Jesus and live my life in the fullness of his will. And I am confident today that I'm not alone. There's many of you in this room. You've known Jesus. He has changed you. He has transformed you. And I want to just be clear this morning. He's not a crutch. Don't follow Jesus because... A plus B equals C. Follow Jesus because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Even when life sucks, even when things don't go my way, I know who I trust. And I'm, he is faithful to come through again and again and again. Even if he doesn't come through, he's done enough for me. So I praise him for who he is, not for what he can do. He's already done enough. So I'm not talking about a faith. Where everything works out. Actually, he said, very real. He said, in this world, you're going to have troubles. But he said, take heart. I've overcome the world. And so will you. We're talking about a real, tangible faith that changes the trajectory of your life. Why did these people get baptized this morning? Because this Jesus is still here changing lives, healing lives, restoring lives, and giving us hope beyond the grave. Did you notice one of the testimonies is one young man from our church died. But guess what? We believe that he is with Jesus for the rest of his life. That's the faith that we have. That's why Paul said, if you only believe him from this world, you are miserable. You ought to believe him from this and the next one to come because he never died. He's alive forevermore and he's faithful and he's good to come and heal you today. Come on, let's lift up the name of Jesus in this place. Come on, the resurrected Jesus is in this place. Lift him up all over this place. I want to thank you for listening today and I want to encourage you to share this with someone who needs to hear about the love of God and uh, hope to see you soon.